Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Well, sadly, the crisis in Ukraine seems to be getting out of control. Russia has started the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and we are possibly witnessing the most significant armed conflict in Europe since the Second World War. In Future is Blue, we recently talked to Elisabetta Cornago, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for European Reform. Elisabetta is an expert in environmental policy, energy and climate policy. And we discuss topics that uh, are going to be very relevant over the next months, such as Europe's dependency on Russian gas, the economic consequences of sanctions on Russia for the European economies, and the implications of the ongoing crisis on Europe's energy transition plans. Thank you for joining us, Elisabetta. Thank you for your invitation, Carlos. Great, you're welcome. Uh, Elisabetta, the, the first thing I'd like to ask you is about Europe's dependency from Russian gas. I mean, this is not something new and, and, and it's a bit surprising. Uh, today, Europe is still relying quite a lot on Russian gas. I think it represents around 35% of its total consumption. So considering there's been major crisis in the past, why do you think we have not over the years reduced more substantially this uh, dependency? Yeah, so um, as you said, I think it's important to, to look at numbers because I think the fact that we still face uh, such a large, uh, you know, share of our gas coming from Russia and, and such a large also share of our total energy mix, you know, relying on gas, it can feel a bit discouraging at times. But I think at the same time, it's important to look a bit at, at recent history and, and also see the steps forward that have been taken um, in, in European you know, uh, energy policy and, and energy markets. Um, so it's true that domestic production of, of gas in Europe has, has dropped uh, recently. Um, but, but at the same time, I would point, let's say, a couple of big, big changes that we've been observing in, uh, in European energy markets uh, recently. So uh, the first one is that, you know, if you broadly look at all uh, fossil fuels, well, the, the, the share of coal in final energy consumption has been dropping significantly, right, from about 10% in 1992. Uh, to to uh, just a bit more than 2% in 2019. So we are successfully managing to get rid of the most carbon intensive fossil fuel in our energy mix. That's a good sign. Uh, natural gas simultaneously has, has remained uh, quite stable over, over that period. But if you look within natural gas, as I said, yes, it's true that domestic production has, has dropped. Um, but we have done 
in fact, quite a bit of effort in trying to differentiate a bit where that gas comes from. Um, so as we reduce, you know, the, the amount of gas that we generate within uh, European borders, the uh, share of uh, liquefied natural gas that we import, so basically shipped in rather than, than piped in through, through pipelines, uh, has been, uh, you know, increasing quite substantially, um, hitting about 18% uh, of total European gas needs in, in 2021. And, and, you know, there, if you look at which countries provide Europe with uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas, the latest Commission gas report looks that looks at that, and it's it's Qatar, the US, and Nigeria, and you know Russia also provides gas by LNG, but it comes in only fourth. So there has been differentiation both in the sources and and in the technology, I guess the the pathways through which uh, uh, Europe uh, imports uh, gas, and and of course you know now we're focusing on uh, on 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 gas and and fossil fuels in the context of the Russia Ukraine crisis, but of course you know the major breakthrough, I guess, in, in European uh, energy developments in, in the past uh, decade or a couple of decades has been the explosion in uh, renewable energy. So, so um, of course, um, this, uh, this, um, the fact that our um, domestic production of electricity via renewables, such as solar and wind, mainly uh, is increasing, calls for balancing energy sources to make sure that Europe can keep the lights on and, and the heating on when, uh, when um, you know, volatile uh, energy sources such as renewables are not available. So you always need this kind of background energy source to be there. So I think you mentioned something interesting is that there are other uh, uh, countries providing gas currently and, 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 and it's always good, I think, to rely on more than one source for energy. But um, if things go wrong over the next week, uh, if, if a major escalation happens and, and we need to look for alternatives for the current supplies that, that Russia is, is, is sending to Europe, how easily is to, to, to find in the short term some alternatives to that gas that currently European consumers are using? So this is something that um, European officials have been doing, in fact, in the past, you know, weeks and months very intensively. I think we've seen, uh, you know, the, the, the European Energy Commissioner Simpson, uh, Timmermans as well, I think, uh, various heads of states go, go here and there uh, in order to up uh, the, the imports of, of natural gas from, from other countries. Qatar has, has increased uh, quite a bit its, its exports to the EU. All this also with the very active support of the US, who sees, uh, you know, also uh, very clearly uh, uh, Russian gas reliance as a as a as an opportunity for them. Destabilizing as an opportunity, maybe you know, of course, yeah, US uh, LNG exports have also been increasing, but I also think you know, in the context of the of the of the um, <laughs> clashes uh, and uh, the, the uncertainty on the Ukrainian border, the US see that as long as Europe is as uh, reliant on Russian gas, then that makes Europe a bit more um, cautious, I guess, in, in its approach, in its relations towards towards Russia. But so, you know, all this to say that 
European member states have been looking at, at various scenarios in terms of what could happen if large-scale disruptions to uh, Russian gas imports do happen as the situation evolves uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, and so it's not like we are not uh, ready. Um, in fact, the most, um, I guess, common common scenarios, you know, there are, there are various situations in which we could find ourselves in the next couple of weeks. The first one is that you know, I guess the best case scenario is that Russia continues supplying as is, uh, which is, you know, sort of meeting its long term contractual arrangements with, with European countries, but not being particularly helpful in terms of increasing its uh, immediate supply through the spot market. The second scenario, perhaps a bit more uh, realistic, is that there will be disruptions uh, of Russian gas flows, particularly those that go through Ukraine. Uh, that's that's uh, complicated, but still manageable, particularly given that in the past decade or so, Russia has been decreasing quite dramatically the the stream of uh, of gas that that goes through Ukraine itself to to also I guess win itself off its dependence on on, on Ukrainian pipelines and that and that poses of course uh, an issue for for Ukraine itself as well as as well as uh, Europe and I guess then the worst case scenario overall is an outright stop of all Russian exports uh, of gas to Europe. That, of course, would be, you know, a lot more complex, if not entirely impossible to, to handle uh, in, in the short term. Uh, but it's also a very, a very extreme scenario that is a bit difficult to, to consider uh, as, as, as realistic. On top of all these, right, we are talking about scenarios which are driven, I guess, by political considerations at this stage. On top of all these, consider that there's an extra variable that we can't really control, and that's the weather. Because, you know, according to how mild or how strong uh, winter evolves now in this final phase of the European winter, we are more or less exposed to, to everything that happens. Now, you know, building on this, in, in, the, in the middle scenario in which there, we can think of a, you know, some disruption, but not a, an entire disruption to Russian gas flows, it looks like, if you look at what analysts uh, are saying, that building on uh, LNG imports, building on the existing, if limited, because that's part of the, the situation where we are, limited reserve stocks of, of gas that, that Europe has, uh, Europe should be able, as a continent, to face uh, the, the storm, essentially, and to, to keep uh, the, the heating on. Um, of course, you know, that's not to say that it's fine and we shouldn't worry as much because uh, we have already seen, obviously, very strong repercussions in, uh, in both for European households, which are facing higher bills, for European businesses, uh, which, are, which are at the same time also facing higher bills to an extent that some have been, you know, interrupting uh, temporarily uh, their, their production. But there have been actions uh, taken in order to get ready essentially for for these various uh, for these various scenarios there's another element here in this conversation and it's about uh, sanctions it's out of the question that this would be this would cause harm to the russian e economy but i wonder what's the what are the consequences for the european economies because we are in a very sensitive moment we're trying to consolidate recovery from the worst pandemic we, we could ever imagined so what do you think would be the impact if we, in fact, trigger sanctions to Russia in our own economies? Um, so it's, it's, of course, a very good question. And, and it partly also um, the answer to that question is also something that, of course, officials, I think, are keeping in mind in 
thinking about the type of sanction right to, to put in place but as you as you said um it's it's true that the the sanctions that that europe and the us have um uh have, have put in place against russia already uh, since since 2014 have uh, taken a toll uh, of course they were compounded you know their effect on the russian economy was compounded also by the shock uh to to oil prices uh, uh, that that are you know oil oil being uh, another major uh, russian export so the russian economy is already weak it has suffered uh, in, in in the past since uh, you know the the first set of sanction uh, in the context of you know ukrainian attacks were put in place now uh, there there are now under consideration other types of sanctions a bit uh, a broader in fact um but i think uh, you know if we look at uh, the, the the numbers that we see Russia is likely again to suffer more from them than than the European economy because uh, Russia relies more on Europe for its own exports than uh, the, the than the opposite. So I think you know maybe if if we try and and look a bit uh, at the numbers, I think what we realize that ultimately the biggest fragility uh, for for Europe in terms of uh, outcomes of of sanctions in terms of counteractions that Russia would take in the economic sphere to react to those is again in the gas market uh, because in terms of um, uh, its, its trade relations with Russia the impact would be uh, you know uh, quite quite limited uh, but of course you know it's then important to think about designing a package of section, sanctions in a way that makes them you know, realistic vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia and perhaps then European countries need to think about how to design them, um, also considering perhaps support measures for, for those countries, those sectors that would be uh, most impacted. But uh, the, the European Central Bank, for example, has been, uh, you know, trying to, to, to run uh, a little uh, modernization, uh, you know, sort of back of the envelope exercise, trying to understand what would be the impact then of uh, hypothetical 10% gas rationing shock, because again, you know, I think that is the clearest response that Russia would, uh, would, would, you know, probably wedge in, in response to, to Europe, to European and, and American sanctions. And what they find is that think of a 10%, uh, you know, cut to, to, to gas flows, the, the corporate sector in, in Europe, in the Euro area rather, would see uh, its value added reduced by uh, a bit less than than one percent now you know that's an average across the euro area across uh, uh, you know uh, economic sectors some would be a bit more exposed uh, some countries would be a bit more exposed um, those you know in which uh, gas has more important role in the energy mix i think uh, austria i think uh, slovakia but overall it's a it's a small enough i think um impact for for european member states to think about going forward uh, we'll, before we before we close i wanted to ask you about um uh, something that is more for the medium and long term and is um energy wise we are at, at a critical point in europe because on the one hand there are clear ambition plans uh, to transition our economies towards the more sustainable models and that affects crucially the kinds of energies we use so the idea is to more and more rely on renewable resources but on the other hand we're we're seeing that this path may not be so easy because we've seen record prices for electricity gas over the last few months so considering what we just uh, discussed today how can the current crisis in russia affect the plans that europe has to transition towards 
a, a more a greener future yeah that's that's really a, a great question and i'm sure it's one that's keeping um you know both uh, environment and energy ministers across the eu as well as european commission officials <laughs> dealing with this area you know with the european green deal awake uh, at night i'm sure and so uh, maybe connecting to, to something we were discussing before you know when i was saying that uh, europe is likely uh, now that we are reaching the end of winter to to be able to to face the storm during this winter of course in if um disruptions to, to gas supply were to continue for for another uh, you know couple of uh, couple of years say that would make the the european energy mix a bit more fragile but that i think is giving in fact a big impulse uh, to to european energy policy and climate action efforts to actually go bolder and and faster uh, and and that is because i think energy security uh, is now much much higher uh, in terms of political priorities as well uh, across the continent because it's a lot more real i think the threat uh, that uh, that europe sees in terms of being reliant on on imports so how this connects then to to, to european uh, climate action is that so far in this conversation we talked a lot about energy supply so how europe can uh, you know um, reduce its its imports of energy uh, particularly gas from from Russia and how Europe can resist to, to the pressure that high energy prices have been uh, putting on its economy. Um, but th there's also a flip side to that, and that is how to um, how to help Europe essentially uh, be more efficient in, in, in the way it uses energy. And so that is something that actually takes quite a big position in the European Green Deal. And it takes it has also taken quite a frontline role in the in the in the recovery fund proposals and, and investments and that's uh, you know energy efficiency investments so energy efficiency investments are a key to reducing i guess um uh, european energy demand both at household level but also at, at industrial level and across the grid so how can we be more efficient in um in in our uh, consumption on ener of energy and in how we we ship it around the continent that's that's one thing alongside of course uh, greening energy generation overall because as you said as europe increases the share of renewables in its energy mix simultaneously it's also increasing the share of energy that it produces within its borders and so reduces its its uh, its um uh, its import dependence so in fact the transition uh, towards the decarbonized energy sector is simultaneously a transition away from import dependency and i think seeing that with clarity uh in the past in the past few months has given new impetus i think to the to the to the urgency of, of actually you know going towards faster faster implementation and faster uh, faster achievement of these goals and of course that means you know as i said both uh being more ambitious and and, and faster in in deploying uh, energy efficient investments or renovations of, of homes so that households can actually cut down their energy bills in the first place and in investments in in renewables and smart grids so to make the, the, the European energy system more, more green, of course, but also more um, resilient uh, to, to, to external I think I think that's a great point to, to, to finish this conversation. I think it goes, uh, it goes in the same direction as the logic we saw before. We need to, to become greener for a number of reasons. And now we, we have a clear signal that, that says energy security really matters. And in fact, if we do uh, a green transition well, we're going to be more secure as well. Um, 
Elisabetta Cornago, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for European Reform. It was great having you on the Future is Blue podcast. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well. <laughs>